You are listening to the Religica Theo Lab podcast in the Center for Ecumenical and Interreligious Engagement at Seattle University. Hello, listeners. My name is Zachary, and welcome to a roundtable discussion. In this discussion, the student affiliates of the center sat down with Diana Murison, an activist with the Church World Service, to talk about religious literacy, gratitude, and hunger movements. Please enjoy. Hello, everyone. My name is Zachary. Over here next to me is... Hi, everyone. I'm Sophia, and I work at the Center as a student affiliate in Web and Communications. And I'm in my fourth year at CLU studying communications with a minor in psychology. And I'm excited to be here today. I'll pass it on to... Hi, my name is Prabhjit, and I'm student affiliate at the Ecumenical Center. And I recently joined it, and I'm second-year graduate students in business analytics, and I'm looking forward to this podcast series today. Great. Thank you guys for joining me today. Today, we are having a roundtable discussion. Someone very interesting, actually. Someone who works for, sorry, works with, apologies, Remind me, what is it? It's CWS? Yeah, it's a Church World Service or CWS Global. Church World Service, thank you. Diana Morrison, mm-hmm. thank you for joining us. We really appreciate you being here. Yeah, of course. Really glad to be here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, about your work with CWS? Sure. So a little bit about me. My name is Diana Morrison. I'm the Community Engagement Manager at CWS. I currently work in the Innovation Hub which was a project started by my boss, uh, the, oh gosh, the, he just changed his title. It's uh, the Chief Sustainability and Impact Officer, Maurice Bloom. He is one of the advisory council members here at the center. And so we also have an advisory board for what we do. And Michael Trice, who is your executive director mm-hmm. or the guy yeah. in charge, he also is on our board. And so I've had the privilege of working with him a little bit, but Yeah, so I work in the Innovation Hub at CWS, and what that is, is about 10 years ago, Maurice realized, well, I work at an NGO, and a lot of times, a lot of NGOs aren't fully sustainable in the long run, because a lot of our donors, a lot of our volunteers are over the age of 60, they're very religious-based, and so we realized that younger people are not engaging with us, and so we set out on a journey to try to research and test out new ways of engaging with more diverse audiences. And so that's how the Innovation Hub came to be. And so we do a lot of, we host a lot of projects. Um, We try to build a lot of networks and connections to try to figure out how to get younger people and more diverse audiences to engage with us. Wow, that's really fascinating. Thank you for that. So today we are going to have a roundtable discussion about value and religious literacy. So the first thing I'd like to you know, bring to the floor, in terms of your personal values, Diana, what do you believe gratitude means? That is a great question. Um, I think for me personally, gratitude is just trying to be accepting of the things that I have and the slot in life that I have. Because I know a lot of times... Yeah, a lot of times I tend to not be grateful for the things that I have, or I try to put it in perspective of, oh, well, people in the other parts of the world don't have this and they don't have that, so I should be grateful. But it's more than that. It should be comparing our needs, or it shouldn't be comparing the things that we should be grateful for, saying, oh, well, I have more than this person, so that should be better. But we all have things in our lives that are good, and we all have things in our lives that are bad. So for me, it's just being grateful for the things, yeah, just the things in my life. How do you use gratitude with your work in reforming hunger movements? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I got into this field. I've actually, when I was in middle school, I wanted to be a social worker because I did not want just seeing the terrible circumstances that people have been in. I didn't want more people to be, because I grew up not necessarily in poverty, but I didn't grow up in the most economically (laughs) advantageous life. Um, And so just the struggles that I went through, I didn't want other people to go through those struggles. And so I started working and I started volunteering and I got to a place where I realized that I really should be grateful for all the things that I have because yes, I didn't have a lot, but 
I got really blessed with the life that I did have. So I'm Romanian and I, growing up, I always just wanted to, I always realized that I had so many blessings in my life that if not me, then who was going to help these other people? And so now working at an organization where the majority of our work is hunger and poverty related, hunger is just such a vital part of life. And so just being in a place where I have the ability to make these changes and to be able to work in a nonprofit and to go get a degree and advance my career. And so I can be the best version of myself to make real change, I think is just something that I have been privileged with being able to do. And so, yeah, that's sort of what, what pushes me. And that's sort of where my, my value is coming from, just knowing that if not me, then who was going to do it? Yeah, it's, it's really nice. I like to compare it to this idea of being a person for others, being there and just serving the community, serving mm-hmm. the society. I also want to open the floor if Sophia and Prabhjit have anything to add. I think that's super inspiring, Diana. And it really just shows kind of putting others before yourself as well in some ways and having your story and talking about it, what kind of what you went through and you, the older you are getting when you were in middle school and sort of realizing there's the field of social work, that could be something to go into. Yeah, it is inspiring. And I really hope that younger people are inspired by the people who came before them. Mm -hmm. I definitely think there's also a shift in, I think the younger generations, well, we're also young, but the younger generations before, I also just think are so more community focused and just building up these community networks and helping each other. Because, you know, we don't have to think about the international world to think about hunger. There's hunger here in our backyard. Here in Seattle, especially, there's such a homelessness problem that's so tied with poverty and hunger that I feel like the younger generations are just more aware that we should be doing more for each other. Maybe it's the distrust we have in our government, but I do see a lot of younger people just doing a lot more community development right here and helping with hunger and poverty, which I think is really fantastic. Yeah, like with your story, it reminded me of my story. I joined a children's orphanage from my middle school and I helped young girls to get some affluent in various aspects of the life. And I remember how I started with from the very basic, from odds and and to just show their way. So yeah, it reminded me of my thought was if I have resources, I should re- use those resources to help who do not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Because so. not everybody is that lucky. Yeah. We got lucky. <laughs> it was not. Yeah. yeah definitely. Yeah. So that's how I was able to connect with your story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. I'm really curious to know a little bit more about you, Diana. How does your spiritual background support you in your work? It's definitely been the biggest push for sure. So I grew up in a very conservative European community. I grew up going to a Pentecostal church, a Romanian Pentecostal church, which wasn't necessarily my favorite. It was very, very conservative um, and not necessarily the most healthy environment. But once I got into middle school and high school, we switched over to a non-denominational church. And that was the first time that I had experienced the good parts of religion. And that's when I first saw that, you know, religion doesn't have to be legalistic. It's not about following X, Y, and Z rules to make you a better person. It's about, well, having a, having a relationship with God, but it's about helping each other. And even if we often talked about, you know, when we look at acts of services and, and doing goodwill and helping each other, that is exactly what the Bible speaks about. That's exactly what the whole story of Jesus is. (laughs) It's about helping each other and being there to support each other. And so being able to see that from a more holistic and a more welcoming environment, really, they were also very big into community support. And so we had a lot of, we had lots of events and we, we helped the community in so many different ways from donating foods, working with food banks, helping the homelessness population. We had lots of connections with trafficked persons And so there was just a spirit of brotherly love and supporting each other. And so that really just at such a young age, I mean, you know, when we're in middle school, we think we're so old, but looking back on it, we were very young. And so just being instilled with that just view of this is what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. It means supporting each other and being there for each other. And so that has definitely always just been there with me. And one of the reasons I went into this field is because I always just felt that it was my duty to sort of go into this, you know, as a as a Christian, it always just, I always wanted to 
do things to help people. And I feel like that's exactly what the Bible is about and what religion is about. It's just being good to people and helping each other. Definitely being a person to others. I, I'm seeing a very big trend here. And I really like it. That's that's really nice. Yeah, definitely this uh, theme of spreading kindness that also resonates with me. And when we think of the community, we think of other people. And if we don't have others, then what do we have? Mm-hmm. So I think that's an important critique to make of some of the societal trends that we see in America, where we live in a very individualist society compared to some societies from the past, especially in Europe, that are more collectivist. And Mm -hmm. the overall aim is for others. And through that, you nurture yourself. And I could see that in the words that you say. Mm-hmm. And I agree that is very important is the community and others and putting that in front of just the individual, which is unsustainable. Yeah, definitely. What's really interesting to point out, I really like this. You really have been connected to these hunger movements from mm-hmm. such a young age. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just been so ingrained into who you are and what you believe so strongly. And I, I want to take a moment to appreciate that. I also want to take a moment to go back and acknowledge something you said earlier about, you know, being here in Seattle and Washington and the homeless population. And there are so many people around the world and there are so many different types of ailments. And I almost hesitate to say misfortunes. There are so many levels of Mm -hmm. people in the world. And it means so much just to be there and be there for them, to give your time to give your charity, to give your kindness. Mm-hmm. So thank you, truly. So it does kind of bring me to this idea of religious literacy. Anyone here have any ideas what religious literacy means to them? I would love a definition. <laughs> um, I know a few buzzwords I think of are culture and values. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of religions out there, and there's different ways to interpret them and to learn about them. So I also wonder if there's a good way of defining it as sort of an arc of religion over our histories. Yeah, in my opinion, I just feel like of what religion comes, the values, the culture, ethics, and most importantly, the respect to the culture, Mm -hmm. to the religion. We need to respect it and the people with it. In the world, we can see around the world, like, well, religion and violence going it's spread across the globe. And yeah, so I would like to bring religion and peace instead of religion and violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's, um, so I know for us as a faith-based organization, being religious is so important, especially once you leave the U.S. Because a lot of the communities we work in are, are rural communities. And for them, they still operate by very traditional ways of life where the religious leaders are the leaders of their communities. And so working with them, you know, oftentimes I feel like us being faith-based gives us sort of that edge to come in and say, we respect your religion, we respect your community, your cultural identity. When we go into these communities, we don't try to bring in our Western approach to things. We go in and say, you know, what are the things that you need? And often it starts with hunger (laughs) um, because the basic necessity is food and water. And so we try to make sure that whatever programs we're doing, however we're trying to benefit them, is still maintaining their cultural identity and their religious identity and keeping them and us just operating through the systems that they have. Yeah, it's really fascinating that you bring that up. What I really see written under the rocks is this idea and principle of respect, Mm -hmm. respecting culture and identity especially. Mm -hmm. There are two concepts that come to mind, literacy of religion and religious literacy, and those are very different things. Religious literacy, to me at least, is this idea of understanding, knowing more. And this question pops in my head. When do you know that you know enough about a certain thing? Oh, nobody ever knows anything. (laughs) I don't think we ever know enough. Right. Like, you get degrees in school. I'm going for my bachelor's. I know, Prabhji, you're going for your master's. Mm -hmm. But do these degrees define how much we know about a certain topic? Do these degrees define how much we know personally about the world, about others? I mean, I think they do and they don't. I mean, it definitely, 
yes, learning and educating, and especially in the religious sense, you know, once you get these degrees, you do have a sort of, what's the word I'm trying to use? I don't want to say authority, but you are just a, a person of more knowledge, but that knowledge is, you always have to grow that knowledge. And it's the same with religious literacy. I don't think we ever are going to get to a point where we know everything about religion. <laughs> I don't think there's ever a point where we're going to know everything about a certain topic because there's just putting, I mean, religion in different contexts is very different. Religion as it was 10 years ago compared to 10 years from now was very, very different. And so although we can become experts in our fields and these things, and, you know, we can study the religious, the religious texts and, and the faith-based communities and what they have to offer, looking at the intersectionality of faith and all these other aspects of life. It just, I feel like knowledge is just continuously moving. It's not something that we're ever going to fully, I don't think it's something we can ever reach just fully knowing everything, which is unfortunate. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really great way to put it. I feel like your own personal knowledge, it always kind of uh, ebbs and flows and you could be a lifelong learner. And that's so great in so many ways. At the same time is what do you do with that? Do you share your knowledge? Are you learning in other ways? Because uh, academia can be very strict in its teachings, but when you can kind of go outside of that and learn from your loved ones and maybe your elders and those who are wise, mm-hmm. that also is a whole different school of knowledge and learning that yeah. we should all be more aware of. Absolutely. I do have a question for you guys. So for me, you know, spirituality is very much ingrained in the work that I want to do. How much for you guys is spirituality and uh, religion something that has, does that make you more or less interested in trying to do good in the world? And is that something that pushes you guys to do that? If that makes sense, what I'm asking. Mm -hmm. So like for me, I just think like if I'm resourceful and my uh, like I am from Sikh religion, so you must be knowing by now, like from Sikh religion, they are there to help with anything and everybody. And no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what your religion is, no matter what your cultural identity is. So that kind of pushes me uh, since I'm from that religion. So that pushes me to work for the people. Mm -hmm. Since I think like if I am today, I am by the people. So I want to do something for my people, for the people out there. So I started with in my high school, as I mentioned earlier, I started with orphan kids who I think they don't have resources. So I really wanted to help them. We started from basics and now I'm happy to help even like Till now, I am associated with them and we are still in touch. We talk, we build every day. So whatever knowledge I get, I pass on to them. So yeah, as you said, I just, whatever knowledge I have. So I try spreading it, putting my, even I'm a learner. Mm-hmm. I learn from them a lot. Mm-hmm. Building my emotional strength. They have helped me a lot coming so far. So yeah, learning from each other, it's something I would like to go ahead, learning every day, keeping your walls, like ego aside. Mm -hmm. It can be that, oh, you are at this level, don't teach me or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So even from like smallest thing, you can learn a lesson. Mm -hmm. So Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry. Did you say the, so the, with the kids that you work with, are they from a similar, same religion as you? No, it's like everybody's mixed. So Kids are from every background, mm-hmm. from every religion. Like the kids range from like age three to twenty. Mm-hmm. So, does, does religion shape the way that you guys interact with each other at all? I don't think so. Like for me, I have never like kind of put pressure on like from the people. Oh, that's from my religion. I have never mm-hmm. done that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I take it everybody as like on the same level. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel I'm going to learn from them rather than like, then I'll be discriminating Mm -hmm. if I'll be doing that. Just focusing more on my group. So, yeah. Yeah. We take everybody along. Yeah. I know there's definitely, um, this is one thing, you know, we are trying to research at the Innovation Hub is how impactful spirituality is on your desire to do good and your ability to do so. Mm -hmm. Um, And if it's something that pushes you or if it doesn't and younger generations, it's not necessarily (laughs) the biggest, it's not as big of a a pusher as it was for the older Mm -hmm. generations who, you know, did good because it was 
our jobs as good Christians to do these things. But I feel like the world is is so shifting now and younger generations don't really trust a lot of establishments. They don't really trust religion because of the negative aspects of it, which is a very fair. I understand it. But yeah, so I just, I am always curious to hear what younger people have to say if spirituality is something that affects their their desire or if it doesn't and, you know, what their spirituality even means in a, I guess, a day-to-day context because I would define myself as spiritual, but I'm not at all as devout as I used to be. But I don't think that necessarily makes you more or less spiritual. Though I guess what does make you more or less spiritual? Yeah, like I learned this from my religion not to discriminate, even mm-hmm. if you um like in COVID nineteen pandemic. So mm-hmm. uh, there's an organization called Khalsa Aid. So they help with each and everything from the necessity to arranging the hospital to arranging the oxygen, everything. But they didn't discriminate on the basis. Oh, mm-hmm. that's from my religion. That's gonna go first. Mm-hmm. No, everybody is on the in the same line. Whosoever comes first, come serves, mm-hmm. gets the surface. So, yeah. so that's what I get my values from. Yeah, that's great. I guess I can chime in. So to start, I will say I can't confidently say that uh, my sense of spirituality does push me in my day-to-day life. I think my personal religion slash spirituality slash philosophy is something that I'm still discovering and learning for myself. And I value other people so much, and I can learn from that, and that's also so inspiring. I am Armenian, and in Armenia, so I was actually baptized in Armenia, and Armenia is one of the first nations to declare Christianity as their state religion. So they are very rooted in Orthodox Christianity, and my extended family and my relatives are quite devout, but my immediate family, so my parents, it was never really practiced too much growing up. And when I got to an age, probably in middle school, it was something that I sort of had a choice if I wanted to practice. And I think that freedom I've carried through with it until right now when I'm when I'm in college. And just right now, am I starting to ask questions and kind of go back to my roots and discover that sense of cultural identity? Because so many Armenians, and I say so many, are very, like, religion is a very big part of, of their culture. Mm-hmm. And it goes, like, hundreds of years back. So, it's really great yeah. that it, you said, you know, you had the choice of if you wanted to continue with the religion that you grew up in, which I think is so important. <laughs> yes, um, I do, too. Because I, I know so many, I know so many of my friends who are now atheists who didn't have, they didn't feel they had that choice. And it just made them turn away. And so I love that, you know, you're now getting to a place where you're able to more freely figure out what it is that you want out of your spiritual self and where you sort of align the most with, which I think is really fantastic. And going back to (laughs) the religious literacy, I don't know if we ever fully, I mean, some people claim that they have spiritually awakened and (laughs) have figured it out, but I don't know how, I don't believe them. I think we're always trying to figure things out the world was perfect it wouldn't be yeah <laughs> so, oh that is really that's really interesting my grandparents are actually from romania oh really we always was really nice they immigrated a couple decades ago they immigrated to israel where my father was born he moved to the states when he was 14 and here i am in <laughs> seattle washington i know crazy mm-hmm. but we grew up ashkenazi mm-hmm. jewish so i got to see that part of it Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you're looking at culture and, and religion mixed together, <laughs> Judaism is, is I feel like, the epitome of that. How so? Because to be Jewish is more than just a religion. It's a culture. And so I have a lot of Jewish friends, because I live in New York right now, and you don't necessarily need to be religious to be Jewish. And so it's just they have such a deep connection of culture and religion with them that is, you do see that in a lot of other countries, like you said, in Armenia. And I know for me, we also grew up religion and culture very tied together. But when you're Jewish, I feel like it just is a whole other level. Or maybe you can speak more to that because I'm obviously not Jewish. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting that you emphasize that more because I really resonate with that. I was born, you know, I was born into this faith, never really practiced, nor did my parents. My mother is actually from New York, mm-hmm. ironically enough. So I, I was born into this faith, but I, I never really felt the need to practice. Mm-hmm. Yet 
this culture is still ingrained in me. This idea of of celebrating mm-hmm. and understanding history and culture mm-hmm. is is really fascinating to me. I am part of the Jewish Student Union here at Seattle University, even though I don't practice. I know my grandparents themselves were also, you know, born into this this faith, and it was pushing them for a young age, and they had enough freedom to walk away from that choice, but came back to it later in life. Mm-hmm. So, so kind of throwing the questions mm-hmm. back at you that that the ladies answered. Do you? What are your values that push you? Does your spirituality push you to try to do good in the world? Or what are the things that you value and how do those push you to to want to do good things? If you want to do good things, if you don't, that's fine too. <laughs> Just add a little chaos yeah. to the world. <laughs> no, what, what really drives me is charity, giving myself, being a person to others. And it doesn't tie into what religion I grew up in, what with spirituality, it really is a, a moral decision for me. Mm-hmm. It's it is my faith, mm-hmm. and I truly believe that helping people is the biggest thing you can do. Mm-hmm. And have sorry, you're fine. Um, yeah, I I totally understand. I think yeah. younger people are so are more based on human to human connecting as opposed to we're connecting because we're part of the same religion. It's not that we're in the same groups. It's just that we want to be there for the the people in our lives and the people around us. And I feel like that's so indicative of where the world is going. And I'm really hoping that's going to be a good push <laughs> for yeah. more community led development. Yeah. Um, I'm actually going to throw a question back at you, if you don't mind sure. about religious literacy again, you seem a little familiar with this, this idea. And now that we've kind of talked it through a little bit, I'm, I'm hoping that'll help clarify the question. Do you find yourself using religious literacy when reforming hunger movements or when you're serving the 21, 21, mind you, 21 interreligious organizations that you serve with CWS? Mm -hmm. Me personally, no. As an organization, they definitely do because faith is so very much ingrained in a lot of the reasons why, you know, we, we try to have the more... Jesus-like approach to helping others and being there for people. And so that definitely is ingrained in a lot of the work CWS does and a lot of the communications efforts and the way that we we host, CWS hosts Crop Hunger Walks, which I think now there are about 500 in the U.S. And most of them are run by congregations. And so there's actually, I think, four or five here in Seattle. There's one on Sunday that I will actually be attending, but they... Um, so spiritual literacy is definitely a big push in that and sort of the way that we communicate the work that we're doing here locally and like I mentioned in other in other parts of the world. But for me, I don't necessarily do that. Yeah, I don't necessarily think that it's I think that for some people that is a really effective tactic, but I'm not sure. So one of the things I'm trying to figure out is how I don't think I'm going to phrase this the right way, but I'm trying to figure out if religion and spirituality scare off the younger generations. So if I were to, in whatever projects that we do, if we try to communicate it in a more spiritually led, not spiritually led discussion, but in a more spiritually led way in some of the events that we do or in the way that we do our our social media efforts, that's one of the things we're trying to figure out if that's something that young people can relate to. And if that's something that will scare them off or not, because there are a lot of people who don't like working with faith-based organizations, a lot of younger people, because they hear the word church and they're like, Oh no, we don't like what the church stands for. We don't like, cause they often are a part of marginalized groups that the church has turned their back on a lot of times. And this is not always, this is, of course there are lots of welcoming <laughs> environments out there, but a lot of times they have turned their back on them. And so, Applying that religious literacy, I don't know if it's always necessarily the best way. And I don't, I also don't want to say that, actually, one thing you mentioned that you were saying how your morality is something that pushes you. One thing that I've had to unlearn that I heard a lot growing up is that you needed, that only religious people were moral, which I think is just so silly and not effective because I don't, because I mean, we see that, you know, you can be a religious person and be a bad person. You can be a non-religious person and be a good person. Um, and so like, yeah, so, so say for me, it's more about 
morality in general than it is about, I guess, quote unquote, religious morality, if you will. I completely agree with you. Sometimes those labels can be a lot for younger people and they can tend to have preconceived notions of them. Mm -hmm. So as an example, a few months ago, I was reached out by a group in Seattle called ACYO, and they're the Armenian Church Youth Organization. And when I first saw their name, I was like, oh, church, I I don't know about that, Mm -hmm. just because this is sort of before I was more open to finding, finding my own roots, how I talked about earlier. But I can relate with you when you mentioned that we're noticing this trend within younger people. But I went to one of their social events, and this event was a bonfire, getting to know other people of this group. And religion and spirituality was mentioned, but in a very consumable way that wasn't the head of the entire event. Mm-hmm. And if anything, it was more of a social event. So it was a way to know other members in in the Seattle community who are Armenian. Mm-hmm. And that was the first event that I met more than one Armenian since living here in four years. So that was really huge for me. And now I feel like I have like a tight-knit community. Mm-hmm. If I judged and if I saw church organization where I haven't practiced religion in, in years and I decided not to go to an event, then I think... I definitely would have been missing out on the great time that I had. Yeah. So I guess for me, it was a social event. It was fun. There was a fun activity for the bonfire. So I think those kinds of ways are good ways for getting at younger people. Mm-hmm. Even though they're called Armenian Church Youth Org, it's so important not to judge them mm-hmm. by whatever notions that we have about mm-hmm. this buzzword church which could yeah. um really bring up just so much within each person because mm-hmm. there's definitely a lot of traumas around church i will say that especially with a lot of younger people so i i mean that's a great story i'm really glad that you were able to be like well you know what let me give them a chance to <laughs> see what it's about me too. um yeah because i i you know something that you mentioned about going there and finally being able to connect with other armenians and other people who are who are maybe a little more like-minded than you and have some more similar experiences, I think is such a great, it's such a great opportunity. And I'm really glad that you got that. Thanks. Yeah. Like talking about the younger generation or talking about myself. Yeah. That's us. Uh, yeah, <laughs> We're here yeah. So yeah, I just make a point where even like, you know, how busy our lives are, we really don't get time for anything, but I do make sure that at least once in a week, I visit temple to seek mm-hmm. the blessings and to thank God that whatever he has given, I'm really grateful mm-hmm. to it. So I just make a point myself that Okay, if I'm even getting like 10 minutes, I can do take like 10 minutes out of my busy schedule. I do make sure I go and seek blessings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Great. And that's really interesting what you bring up, Sophia, because I know personally myself, it's really hard to find an organization like that or a faith-based group that you feel that is is more social than it is is religious or faith-based. When I know I've I've had in its I've had a few experiences where it really is just fifty fifty where you it kind of gets pushed upon you and it makes you really nervous and that's mm-hmm. what you were saying Diana that that trauma coming from certain religious groups and then some are just really nice and social and you you understand that religion is just a culture it's just an mm-hmm. opportunity to find people in a society mm-hmm. which is really nice yeah people who think and feel similarly to you that you can connect with and use to to help support each other is definitely something that's really, really important. And I think that is one good thing that faith-based, not faith-based organizations like churches and, and faith-based community groups and that kind of stuff. I feel like there is so much support and welcome in a lot of these that you don't necessarily find in a lot of other places. Yeah. I want to back the train up a little bit to the last station. We were talking a little bit about morality and religious morality and, you know, just giving yourself I was reading the CWS website and it it had quite a few facts that absolutely shocked me. For mm-hmm. example, it says, well, let's all cry together. <laughs> yeah, let's all cry together. I, I already cried once. So I might as well cry again. 805 million people go to bed hungry and 2 billion don't know where their next meal will come from. That, and those numbers are only growing. I'm yeah. pretty sure those numbers are outdated Yeah, this um, was... because it was, I remember about five years ago, it was 750 million. 
And then a few years ago, it went up to 805. And I think those were pre-COVID numbers, which is astounding. I believe these numbers are actually from 2019, which is really scary. Speaking of which, does this this kind of statistic overwhelm you in your mission, in your, I don't like, I hesitate to call it mission. Yeah. Does, do these statistics overwhelm you and the goals you've set for yourself? For me personally, yes and no. Yes, it is overwhelming. And I don't know about you guys, but I feel like in the world that I grew up in, all I've ever heard about are all of the struggles of the world, all of the bad things going on, how many people are hungry, how many people don't have homes, how many women are assaulted, how many people get murdered, how many, how bad the (laughs) mental health crisis is and climate change. And so it can be overwhelming to think about these things at large. But I think it takes a lot of mental energy to not think about this overarching crisis because not no one person can do everything by themselves. No one person can fix these problems. Well, maybe Jeff Bezos can do something with all the money that he has, but um, no one person can fix all of these things. All we can do is what we can do. And so for me, it's just trying to make all of these crises more tangible and turning them into something that we can do and being grateful for the opportunity to be able to help some people. No, we're not going to be able to help everybody, but we're doing the best that we can. And yes, we have these really scary numbers of all the things that are bad, but numbers come and go. We are, I think we're shifting to a place where we are more, more people are wanting to do good. And I feel like focusing on how bad the problem is only makes it feel less attainable. So all you can do is just hope that the work that you're doing will make somebody's life better and hoping that you can encourage other people to do other good things. And hopefully us as a collective human race can try to just make the world a little bit better. Yeah, all we can do is a little bit and hopefully together we can do a lot. But that's so it is overwhelming, but you just have to make it attainable, make the effort that you can do attainable. Definitely. One thing that comes to my mind is checking in on oneself capacity mm-hmm. and knowing, uh, yeah, some days, some days you might have more mental energy to take in everything going on in the world and take in your own individual tasks that you have for that week for your greater mission. And then other days, things are just too heavy and you just need to take a step back. Mm-hmm. And that's totally okay. And normalizing that. Absolutely. One thing I always heard growing up in the church that I came from was that. There are a couple of things you say that you can't lay empty hands on another person or you can't fill someone else's cup if your cup is empty. And so there was a lot of that. There was a lot of that that sort of was just ingrained in me. Not that I have taken it upon myself to to not prioritize myself. But yeah, that definitely does resonate because I feel like we cannot be effective in solving other people's issues if we cannot solve our own and if we can't take care of ourselves because we're just not going to be as effective as we can be which is unfortunate. I mean, we're going to do the best we can, but we definitely need to prioritize ourselves. And like you said, make sure that we're giving ourselves time to rest. You can't solve every issue every single day. So it's just, yeah, that's it. I don't know what else I was going to say. (laughs) Yeah. If you allow me, I would really want you to ask you, like, how this has shaped your life since you're associated with this organization for so long now, Mm -hmm. and you have been working on social issues since your middle school. Mm -hmm. So how does that shape your life? That's a great question. I don't know. I think as always, it was just, I want to say that it hasn't necessarily shaped my life, that it is just what my life is. <laughs> it just feels like something that has always been a part of me. So working at this organization never felt like an extension. Well, I guess it, it was just an extension of all of the values that were instilled in me as a younger person. So it was always just sort of a way for me to express all of my values if that makes sense yeah so it's just it's always been just an outlet for that yeah i don't know if that answers your question or not i want to commend you for all of your work diana i mean it's absolutely brilliant working with nonprofit organizations is just so respectful and so respectable i really appreciate all the work you do i'm gonna bring another statistic to the table one hopefully that i think is a little bit happier <laughs> Great. um so it's also stated in the cws website church world service 
that reducing food waste could save us 155 to 405 billion dollars. That's a billion with a B <laughs> dollars a year by 2030. Mm-hmm. What projects have you been a part of at CWS so far that have attributed to this this growing number? Me personally, I haven't been because I the work that I do is a, is a little bit separate from the programmatic work that we do. But I will say that for CWS food waste really just falls under the umbrella of what is it food food and nutrition um food waste definitely goes into that and so maybe don't quote me on this but i'm pretty sure that we have a lot of advocacy efforts and so we do do a lot of advocacy around hunger and nutrition especially here in the u.s trying to support more social programs for that because there are a lot of hungry people (laughs) out here and i know food waste is definitely a part of that so i think in the u.s the biggest capacity is probably within that we also try to it is one of those things that's always just sort of in the back of our minds when we have events we always try to think of the most sustainable way to do things if we are hosting an event and we have food we always you know try to make sure that we are not that we're not helping the 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 negative numbers that we're not adding to food waste that we are making sure that whatever we do is you know that we're you know, something as simple as making sure that you know how many people are coming, that you're not getting too much food, that you know what you're doing with the food so it doesn't get wasted afterward. And as far as it goes in our programmatic work, I also think that food waste is, again, just something that is ingrained in the way that we do food systems and other places and helping local communities learn how to utilize all of the foods that they have. And so that's probably the way that at least CWS operates in that. That was really fascinating. I'm going to throw one more question out to the table. I feel like I'm playing jacks. Just like, (laughs) ah, I have my questions. I'm going to throw one more question out to the table. What are some of the biggest ways we can help reduce food waste? Because, for example, here at Seattle University, sorry, we just had another event that you were attending. Mm -hmm. Another CEIE hosted event, a webinar. Mm -hmm. And we had some catered food. And when this catered food is, you know, isn't finished, there's leftover food. We donate all that food mm-hmm. to local food banks or the food pantry. Mm-hmm. Um, or and students who yeah. <laughs> are broken. Well, yeah. that's what the food pantry is in the Office of Multicultural Affairs mm-hmm. is it's a space to host food and you can just walk in. No questions asked. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So, I sorry, I kind of danced around my own question there <laughs> yeah. doing the salsa. What are some of the biggest ways we can reduce food waste? I would love to hear what other people have to say, because I can name off like a thousand things. <laughs> so like how I go about it is like whenever I take a plate. So I just make sure whatever it's in my plate, I got to finish it and I don't waste it. So I just take it like quantity, which I know, which I'll be able to finish rather than just throwing it into the dustbin. Mm-hmm. So that's one. This is something which I practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope there are like many other ways yeah. to stop the wastage and just feel the feed the people who mm-hmm. are out there doesn't know like from where the next meal is coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, even with, you know, making sure that you're making portions that are not you're not making too much food that's going to get wasted. I mean, the first step to that is just smarter shopping habits and making sure that you're not buying more food than you're going to use within however, within whatever time you have. And I know I see this on on Instagram reels all the time where people are like, oh yeah, you know, when I was feeling healthy, I bought all these vegetables and now they're just dying and rotting in my fridge because I decided to eat out and eat junk food. And I'm like, that's food waste. (laughs) I was like, just don't buy the vegetables then. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, Yeah, we can surely like set up planner or something. We Mm -hmm. need to plan ahead before buying stuff. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. It takes a lot of consciousness Mm -hmm. and a lot of Self-awareness, self-discipline. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. Yeah, Yeah, I completely agree. I currently live on my own. And so it is tricky buying food for myself sometimes. Definitely. Because sometimes I'll see like, oh, this is this will be a good deal if I buy a bigger bag of potatoes (laughs) versus buying just Mm -hmm. two. Yeah. But then and kale bunches are just and they're so they're huge. That's so true. So so being smart about it, having self-discipline, even if it feels like eating out, but you know that you have food that's going to be perishable is just 
eating that. And then the next day, okay, I can go shopping or I can eat out. Mm-hmm. And composting, we have compost bins all around SU and yeah. we have them in our dorm and apartment building. So I compost peels and like and things that I do feel a little better about throwing away. If they're not in the garbage. Mm-hmm. I'll compost them. Yeah. Yeah. I So I grew up in Portland and so I'm very familiar with <laughs> yes, the Portland. West Coast is just so much better at composting and mm-hmm. recycling. Because now that I live in New York, I mean, we barely have a recycling and composting is not an easy thing. I had someone who worked for, I think she worked for a nonprofit that went around bringing compost, compost trash cans to people. And it is just so difficult to even get people out there to try to do it. And I mean, if you're talking about reducing food waste, that's <laughs> that's a great way. Because if we're going to have the food waste, we have to do something with it. But yeah, to sort of add on to the things you guys are saying, the, I, these are definitely things that I think about when I think about reducing food waste. But my mind also goes to the way that companies can do it and like restaurants. And I know there are a lot of organizations that will go to restaurants or to grocery stores and pick up things that are expiring and bring them to food banks. And so I feel like investing more into those is definitely going to help sort of reduce because most of the waste comes from restaurants and grocery stores that just get food that goes expired because people just didn't get it. And bakeries. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. I, they can give it to me. Like, I'll take it. Um, <laughs> but I, so one additional thing is there's a lot of food waste. The majority of it, I would say, comes from just poor food systems. Chain supply? Chain supply issues. That's what I was, that's what I'm trying to get at. Um, because a lot of, a lot of times there are not effective food chain supply systems in place to get food from farms and bringing them to whatever distribution centers to wherever. I don't know how the food supply chain system goes, but I know that there's a lot of waste in farming. Yeah. And so just figuring out how to better make use of these. So it's just creating better systems to make sure that wherever food waste is coming from, that there are sustainable ways to bring it to a place where food won't be wasted. Yeah, that was a thought. <laughs> what are your thoughts? My thoughts? I have a lot of thoughts. Great, it would probably take another hour <laughs> and a half. Just That'll to be get for the next round table. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, God, we'd love to have you back. Thank you so much for coming out anyways. Yeah, of course. I know that in my, in my spare time, probably after this or on another occasion, I'll talk your ear off about all my thoughts about composting and Perfect. and, and re, re, you know reducing <laughs> mm-hmm. waste i'm from the bay area california mm-hmm. so it's been in that's my religion right there mm-hmm. is is reducing mm-hmm. and recycling yeah. our footprint on the world so yeah so thank you so much are there any other additional comments questions around the table i will just say thank you so much for sharing your insight and inspiring us and i felt very moved by our conversation yeah, I completely agree with Sophia. So, yeah, thank you. No, thank you guys for making the time to meet with me. That's definitely been great for me, too. I always love hearing what people have to say, especially us as the younger generations. It definitely is motivating to meet with other like-minded young people who are working in so many different aspects of their life to try to make the world a little bit better. And so it's very... Yeah, she's very encouraging <laughs> to hear it. And I know it's tough, like you said. Um, it's, it definitely is a difficult thing, but we're all here to support each other. And that's all we can do. Absolutely. Thank you, Prabjeet. And thank you, Sophia, for being here and joining us, joining me, especially. I know this was just such an incredible experience. Diana, is there anything you want to promote while you're here? Honey, you should ask. Ah. Um, yes, actually. So my boss, Maurice Bloom, every year for the past 11 years, he does this event called the 100 Mile Hunger Walk. And it came out of when he moved to the U.S., he was so inspired by the volunteerism of the U.S. because he grew up in the Netherlands and their volunteerism is not necessarily a thing or not. It's not it's not the same way that we do it in the U.S. because here volunteering is just so ingrained. And, you know, even when you're in high school, (laughs) you have to volunteer to get to put on your resume. And so he came here and was inspired by it. Our crop hunger works that I mentioned earlier are all volunteer run. 
and they bring in millions and millions of dollars. I think it's like eight million dollars or something like that. This wow. Um, wow. maybe it's a little less because I know during COVID they got hit a little hard, but it's still up there. And so he, as the second in command of this organization, wanted to put his feet where his heart was. And so 11 years ago, he started walking 100 miles in a week through our crop communities to raise funds, awareness for hunger, poverty, and just creating a more just world. And so this year, we're actually going to be in Seattle. We will be hosting this event, I believe, October 30th through November 5th. And I'm definitely going to be reaching out to you guys again to see if the students want to come out and do anything with them. He walks about 15, 20 miles a day, and we might have one of the days be here at Seattle University. So you'll just see a man just walking around in circles. <laughs> um, so if anybody is out here, whatever day we were here, we will be sure to promote it more once we know a little bit more information. But yeah, it's going to be exciting. And hopefully we can get a lot of students to come out and talk to him. He is a wealth of knowledge and experience and would be great to hear for you guys to hear what he has to say and for him to hear what you guys have to say because we are the future, right? Yeah. Yeah, that is so cool. I know that we featured him in our CEIE September newsletter and mm -hmm. we highlighted his 100-mile walk. Yeah. So in October when he comes to Seattle, that would be something really cool and I think SU community would be very behind that. Yeah, I'm excited for it. It's going to be great. And we're going to bring lots of CWS swag, so... If you want a t-shirt, we got them. <laughs> Absolutely. Give our thanks and, sorry, give our thanks to you. Uh, give Maurice our luck. I mean, a hundred miles in a week is insane. Yeah, it is. I don't know. I've done it. This is the eighth time I've I've done it with him. And by done it, I mean, I ride in the car, yeah. trailing behind him while he walks. Like the Secret um, Service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very exhausting. I don't know how he's managed to do it for 11 years, but yeah, I will send him all of the good wishes. Wow. Thank you so much for coming. This has been our roundtable discussion here at the Center for Ecumenical and Interreligious Engagement. My name is Zachary. Thank you for coming by and listening. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Yeah, thank you for chatting. You've been listening to the Religica Theolab podcast in the Center for Ecumenical and Interreligious Engagement at Seattle University. To learn more about the center's work and for resources to be used in local communities, visit us at seattleu.edu slash the center.